Before we get to today's briefing, I want to tell you about a new series from our sister podcast, Behind the Money. Over the next five weeks, Behind the Money Night School will be your guide to the biggest economic stories of 2023. FT journalists will basically give you a crash course on major developments. Behind the Money Night School runs on Mondays starting April 17th. We'll have a link in the show notes so you can subscribe and see you in class. Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, April 11th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Moscow is encouraging Russians to rat each other out if they see signs of wartime dissent. It's a form of policing that has basically become another pillar of support for the Kremlin. And an EU law in the works has Big Pharma fighting back. But first, corporate America is bracing for tough first quarter earnings. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Corporate America is facing its sharpest drop in profits since the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic. Companies in the S&P 500 index are expected to report a nearly 7% decline in first quarter earnings. That compares to the more than 30% plunge in second quarter earnings when COVID first hit the global economy three years ago. Forecasts now see high inflation squeezing margins and fears of a recession holding back demand. Earnings season kicks off this Friday with big U.S. banks reporting results. One of the world's biggest pharmaceutical companies says new EU legislation may force Europeans to miss out on important new drugs. Eli Lilly CEO David Ricks told the FT's Hannah Kushler he's concerned about a draft EU plan that would cut the length of time that drugs have market exclusivity. It would go from 10 years to eight. Here's Hannah with more. So, you know, when they can be the only one on the market and not face any competition from generic players, they're going to cut it by two years and then give drug makers ways to sort of earn it back by doing the things they want them to do, which could be certain kinds of trials, maybe like showing how good they are against the competition um, or trials with kids or also launching in every member state at once so that there's sort of more equality across the market, which drug makers don't do at the moment. So how much of a threat is it to drug companies and their willingness to pursue treatments? Yeah, so I think that the pharma companies are really worried about this. I do think that it's an important comment by David Ricks, Eli Lilly's chief executive, where he he told me and and my colleagues about um, particular drugs that could be affected because every law shapes the priorities about what we get as medicines. We don't like to think about it like that, but it's true. And, And so actually to say that chronic conditions like heart disease, where you can't really sell as much in year one or two because you're still teaching people, they might lose out because you can't go this bang on the market and make a lot of money in your short period of exclusivity. Or potentially cancer drugs where what happens is you you kind of start with the people with the most advanced cancer and then you go down and you do series of trials and all that time you're doing the trials, the clock is ticking. So he says that makes investing in cancer medicines less attractive. Are pharma CEOs like David Ricks pushing to change the wording of the plan? Yeah, I mean, they're lobbying really hard. Um, And the most important thing for them would be to make sure they didn't have this cut in the time that they have exclusive protection. 
maybe they'll end up being a compromise instead of, you know, the previous 10, it will be nine. Um, and there might be other measures that they'd be willing to to stick with, like some of the trial measures. The one I think they will be really looking to overturn is this measure about launching in every country everywhere at once. Now, that's not because they don't want to sell drugs in every country. Obviously, they make money wherever they sell drugs. But it's because some countries will use this to put pressure on them on pricing and say, well, you've got to launch in the next two years, otherwise you'll lose protection. So agree to this lower price than you might have done otherwise. Hannah Kushler is the FT's global pharmaceuticals correspondent. In Russia, there's a return to an era when people were encouraged to rat out their neighbors, their colleagues, even their family. Russian President Vladimir Putin gave a speech last year and spoke about distinguishing patriots from scum, people who disagreed with the war in Ukraine. He said that Russia's going to spit them out like a fly that accidentally lands in your mouth. It really sort of calling on people to find within their own communities people who might think differently, who might oppose the war, who might not be patriotic, quote-unquote, in the sense that Putin means That's the FT's Polina Ivanova. She's been writing about this new rise of Russian informers. She joins me now. Hi, Polina. Hello. Polina, can you tell listeners one of the anecdotes you wrote about in your story to show just how this new informant culture is playing out in real life? So you have, um, uh, for example, a case that I mentioned in the story that came up recently was of a guy who was sitting on the Moscow metro system, kind of looking at something, probably news items and pictures on his phone related to the war in Ukraine. And someone was looking over his shoulder and informed on that man to the police. A few stations later, he gets out at a platform and is detained. He then ends up handed down a 14-day jail sentence. Wow, that's really intense. Um... But is it different from what it was like before Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine? I think Russia was already a society f- filled with quite a lot of paranoia and a quite a lot of fear. It's something that is kind of a leftover from uh, the Soviet period, but also taught in, in more recent years. But I think it's really hugely increased that. You have um, what I've heard from so many people, and I've also done this myself in Moscow when I've been there, is that you now you don't even you're afraid of what people might even see what you are looking at on your phone, you know, you're hiding whatever you might be looking at on your phone. But this is, that's one of your kind of tiny changes to your routine where just incorporating that fear into your kind of daily life. Now, as you report, the new culture of informing doesn't spare children either. Can you talk about the 10-year-old girl whose school teachers ratted her out to authorities and, and police even showed up to detain her? Vida Galkina is a 10-year-old who came back to school after a summer of clearly paying attention to what was going on in the world. So she comes to school and has a picture on her WhatsApp as her profile picture of kind of pro-Ukrainian symbol. And she starts saying a few things here and there in chats with other kids about pro-peace points of view and also doesn't attend patriotism classes and gets denounced for this, informed on by her teacher and then her headmistress. One thing that I find really interesting about this story is that the girl's mother, Yelena, uh, was eventually found guilty of not properly parenting her child and of politically influencing her. How has Yelena responded? So a 
the court appointed a sort of social welfare officer to monitor the family and to kind of organize what she, Yelena, the mother, called a re-education of the family. But um, Yelena is slightly having none of it in a sense that she has taken every single one of the institutions involved in her daughter's detention, in fact, sued them, which is a really uh, bold move. And that process is now going through the courts. She says that she doesn't think that she's going to be successful, but she wants a record of what happened, of how the state behaved with respect to her child. And she thinks that it someday historically will be important because this uh, situation will change and there will be another era in Russian history where this will all be rehashed, talked about, discussed again. Polina Ivanova is the FT's Moscow correspondent. Thanks, Polina. Thank you so much. Before we go, you know the American food container whose brand name became the word for all plastic food storage containers? Now let's go to a little town in New Jersey where things are really popping. Yes, there's a party going on at Mrs. Betty Martin's house. It's a Tupperware party, and it's really fun. That is a 1961 commercial for Tupperware. Earl Tupper founded the company in 1946, but it's been struggling for years. Now, it enjoyed a momentary boost during the pandemic when people were cooking more at home. But on Friday, its market cap had fallen to less than $100 million compared with a debt load of more than seven times that. The company announced it hired financial advisors in a sign that consumers may have to close the book or the lid on this iconic brand. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.